It is our last episode of the OHL podcast before we take a bit of a summer break and give you a break from us. So welcome to this episode brought to you by Matt Andonofsky and Nick Lardis. How do you like that, Dansky? <laughs> Two of our boys. <laughs> Two of our boys. That's Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Listen, just because we won't be talking quite as much on here about the Ontario Hockey League for the next six weeks or so. Keep in touch with us online. There's going to be lots of stuff to talk about. We'll even reference some OHLers on the move in the pros before this episode is done. And send us an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Maybe there's an issue you want us to address next season. Maybe there's a guest you want to hear on here. Take your pick. Stay in touch with us. We're not going away completely. We're just going to enjoy some summer downtime like I'm sure you are as well. So, now that the draft is in the rearview mirror, Dan, where do you want to start? Well, lots of OHL-related storylines at that draft. I mean, we had an awful lot of uh, OHLers go, and I think, I don't know if it's surprising or not, but five in the first round in what was considered a lean year for the OHL. Uh, a couple, we can get into it later, but I think a couple, in my opinion, fairly shockingly low picks for some OHLers as well. So no shortage of storylines for the OHL. Two guys that stood out to me that went a little bit lower than I would have expected. And just to go back to the way I started this, uh, Nick Lardis, as you know, and I highlighted him again this past week on the OHL podcast has been one of my favorite prospects goes in the third round. Just, I'm just happy for the kid. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how he translates at the next level, because obviously he took advantage of opportunity in Hamilton slash Brantford, but it remains to be seen now what he does with a more prominent role in the Ontario Hockey League and how that really four-month window translates into the next level for Lardis. But third round's a nice place. And Matt Andonofsky, who I identified as well, look, call me a homer all you want, but I know you agree with this too, Dan. This is a kid that is really hard to not like just personally. And I'll share a real quick story. In his rookie year, like so many rookies in the game, you're in the lineup, you're out of the lineup. And I remember being on a road trip in Sault Ste. Marie. And when you're not in the lineup, you are usually one of the last players to leave the ice after practice. And so we're on a road trip in Sault Ste. Marie. And there's Andonofsky at the end of practice, just doing a couple of short little laps near the bench. And I asked him if that was his uh, three-star celebration victory lap. He's like, no, that's my healthy scratch victory lap like he just had a good attitude about it he knew he wasn't playing he knew he wasn't going to be in the lineup a lot but he started getting in the lineup more and then you just watched him this past year and look Matt Andonofsky was taken in the fifth round by the Ottawa Senators we're not saying he's you know uh the next Alex Petrangelo in the National Hockey League by any stretch but here's a guy that works hard has the right attitude heck of a teammate I'll add to this nails like the kid is tough but you watch him develop and you think, you know what? This guy went from a six, seven or out of the lineup defenseman into a guy that you can count on, on one of your pairings. Yeah. I think what's obvious about Matt Andonofsky when you watch this season is how determined he is to put his nose to the grindstone, just work and get better. Cause I, I think at the start of the year, he probably wasn't really on a lot of radars for, for the draft, maybe a fringe uh, pick. But as that year went on, you could just see how much more the, the team relied on him, how many more minutes he was getting, started to get minutes against the top guys in other teams, just a good, honest, reliable, stay-at-home guy. 
with some underrated puck moving skills. I I just, he, he went from a player who made a lot of gaps in his rookie year, as you'd expect with the puck, uh, some fumbles, some missed assignments to looking like one of the, the better shutdown guys in the league. So I'm really anxious to see where he lands in a year or two with Kitchener because could be one of the premier uh, defensive defensemen in the league. You mentioned the five first rounders from the Ontario Hockey League in the draft this past week in what was widely regarded as a lean year for OHL prospects. Just quickly by the numbers, 35 OHLers get drafted, which is the most of any of the leagues in the CHL. Uh, the dub came in with 33 and then the Q just 12 this year. No Q players went in the first round. Six from the WHL went in the first round. So one better than the Ontario Hockey League. But this is also with the OHL kind of leading the way amongst those three leagues. The seventh time in the last 10 years that the OHL has graduated more players to the NHL than either the dub or the Q. Of the five first-rounders, I'm sure we have to agree that the most surprising of them was the last one taken in the first round, mind you, but still, Easton Cowan at 28 to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, you know how much I like Easton Cowan. And I, Absolutely. I, I don't think the, – the pick didn't shock me. I mean, everybody says, well, first-rounder, that's that's a big reach for, for Easton Cowan, who was you know, thought of as a depth-round pick for most of the year. But my argument is great motor – great compete level and if there's ever a message for kids about playing every shift playing every game through the start of the season right through the end of the season it's easton cowan because i'm telling you in that ohl playoffs he probably boosted his draft ranking by two rounds uh just a 17 year old that really dragged his team into the fight a lot in for the london knights in the ohl playoffs and that's when scouts are watching most closely, especially as teams start to get eliminated and there's fewer teams playing. More eyes on you. And you couldn't help but notice Easton Cowan every shift and say, well, this this kid's, this kid's a key player on every shift. So I'm not actually shocked when you see a motor and compete level like that. That's what catches uh, teams' eyes. I think probably what surprised me a little was how much further down his, uh, his buddy Denver Barkey went at 95th. Uh, you could probably make an argument for both kids who should have gone first between the two of them. They were both terrific players for London this year, a 17 year olds dragging them, dragging them into the fight. But, uh, but yeah, a great, a huge positive surprise for, for uh, Cowan and maybe a little bit of a disappointing uh, slot for Barkley. I knew you'd like where Cowan went because much like me and Nick Lardis, you were on the Easton Cowan train first, certainly on this podcast and the development we've talked about it an awful lot. End of season, Easton Cowan was dramatically different than start of season, Easton Cowan. That speaks to the work that he put in, and it speaks to the way he was developed within the London Knights organization, no question about that. Based on, and part of it comes because of the team he was drafted by, the scrutiny that is always around the Toronto Maple Leafs, but based on some of the commentary afterwards, Dan, I wonder if you, two names came to mind for me, Mitch Marner at four, Nazem Kadri at seven mitch in 2015 cadre and 09 both picks of the toronto maple leafs and similar questions asked in the wake of it we can certainly argue in nazim cadre's case things worked out okay mr stanley cup winner well yeah we talked about the london hockey factory and how nhl teams trust players coming out of that system but it's funny because someone asked me someone who wasn't familiar with the pick but was a leaf fan and said well you know what do you know about easton cowan uh cadre was actually one of the names i gave him as a bit of a comparable and not 
identical in style, but uh, very similar in terms of tenacity, uh, varied skill set that they bring to the table, can score, can set up plays, can hit, can agitate, defends. Um, so that was a name that kind of struck me a little. There's a little bit of, uh, of Kadri and Cow, and maybe it's something that they're breeding in that London uh, hockey factory. Very well could be. And now, by the way, the Knights, uh, one of the top teams in the OHL for players drafted, uh, Ottawa, Flint, and I'm still going to call them Hamilton, even though the league is calling them Brantford already. I guess I should get on board with that. I like the idea. Short road trip. Anyway, those four teams, Brantford, Ottawa, Flint, and London, each graduated four players to the NHL to lead or yeah, to lead the O in draft picks this year. And for London, that is now at least one draft pick every year since 1969. That's a wild run of getting of graduating players into the National Hockey League. And for Flint, the four is a franchise high. So that's kind of nice to see too. Yeah, and I see them uh, sneak Ethan Hay there in the seventh round and and get another kid on the board. Uh, and these teams get compensated as they produce NHL draft picks, so it's it's just a good news story all around. But uh, nice to see those franchises that don't get a lot of the the limelight in the OHL uh, developing some players too, because it's only good for their programs when they they see their kids' names called on draft day. You mentioned uh, Ethan Hay. Uh, an unintended segue on your part because I didn't tell you I made this little note but because we are based in the region of Waterloo want to recognize Ethan as a Waterloo kid and Bo Akey I remember talking to Bo up in Barrie during one of our games this year obviously when I'm on the road I try to catch up with the local kid and get some interviews with him so that fans listening to our broadcast can hear the local kids and I'm pretty sure when I say so he's from Baden in Wilmot Township in the region of Waterloo and he's taken the next step to what could be the first ever National Hockey Leaguer from the town of Baden so I think that's pretty cool for Bo Akey and I know lots of people listening right now we're probably following players from their hometowns as well it's cool to see happen for sure yeah yeah you know Bo Akey uh, reminds me a little bit of another prospect that went in this draft which is hunter brustevich who's their profile you know terrific skaters uh you watch them play into the eye to the naked eye on first viewing you look well that's an offensive defenseman the way he skates and moves up ice but then you look at the analytics the metrics and the you, you see some pretty strong defensive metrics there and i one of the scouting reports that struck me this year i, I read from nhl scouting staff uh, their analytic analytic work was on boakey and they said his game, everything about his game, his transition metrics, uh, exits and entries suggest offense is there. So they're projecting him as a better offensive producer at higher levels. So uh, it's interesting how the NHL teams see these players, um, but Bo Aikie certainly brings a lot of that to the table and kind of that new age defender that can kind of do it in all zones. Aikie of Baden goes in the second round, 56th overall to Edmonton. Hay from Waterloo goes in the seventh round, squeaking in at number 211 to Tampa Bay. We'll get back to Hunter Brustevich and a couple of the other Rangers that were drafted because obviously we are based in Kitchener. But one of Aikie's, well, I guess I can call him teammates now. And I wanted to highlight this because we both mentioned him when we were preparing for this podcast, Dan, and that is Edward Shala. Now, I made reference last week when we were talking about Riley Patterson being acquired from Flint to Barry. And I said, just get ready to hear another name coming up soon. I had had that tip 
from Mark Edwards of HockeyProspect.com, who was our feature interview last week. We came bang, bang, our regular episode on Tuesday. Then Mark and I were chatting on Wednesday, leading into the draft on Wednesday night. But it was Mark that told me first, although he didn't he didn't make it sound as though he wanted it to be public yet. And I wanted it to be his news to share. And then Merrick, of course, mentions it during the draft. And I tweet about it. And Edwards is chirping me. He's like, I told you that first. So, yes, Mark Edwards, HockeyProspect.com. One of my favorite independent scouts. I see him a lot around the ranks. He told me first about that. Merrick mentioned it by all accounts. The uh, kid from Czechia is going to end up in Barry. But you think about this now from Barry's rebuild standpoint, Dan, and those are a couple of really nice pieces for Marty Williamson and Barry. Yeah. And you know, Shala is a really interesting prospect. I would, I would use the word polarizing to some extent in the draft this year where the skill was obvious, I mean, high end talent. He was thought of as a top five, eight to eight pick going into this year uh, and then kind of slipped a little bit in some scouts minds. And I talked to one, uh, one NHL scout and his, I won't name the scout, but his phrasing was Shala has top three potential in this draft. If he only gave a damn enough. Uh, so that was kind of the, uh, the scouting report on Shala that he was inconsistent, wasn't always uh, busting it uh, defensively could get a uh, little bit lazy at times, but boy, what a talent, like terrific shot uh, outstanding hands uh, can go up and down that wing. So this is a player who I think is coming across to the OHL to demonstrate on North American ice for North American audiences, what he's capable of. And he's one of the players I'm going to be watching with bated breath this year, because with his skill level, I think this guy has the potential to just dominate the OHL. So we'll see where he goes. That takes me back to the conversation I had last week with Mark Edwards, as well as our feature interview. And it's something that we hear more and more. What's a player's character? What kind of the number of times I get asked through the course of a season when I'm having these conversations with scouts around the rinks, what's he like? And obviously we get to see that personality through our roles better than some, but how does he interact with other people? Is he a good teammate? Is he polite? Do you, can you have a conversation with him? And so character factors in. So that that point being made is really interesting that you said you heard from one of the people in your scouting community. If his gas level, that's what I call it, not give a crap, but give a, you know what, even though this is on the internet, I won't say it, but that's what I call it. Where's your gas level at? Yeah, and sometimes that's what sets players apart from even having an NHL career or not. Uh, there's probably every year, 50 to 60 players drafted that have NHL level ability and maybe half of those will carve out an NHL career just based on that gas meter, as you say. Speaking of those questions that get asked today that probably weren't be, no, we know weren't being asked 20, certainly not 30 years ago around character and the kind of person they are. Did you hear, because you're a fan of that goofy team from Montreal, but apparently one of the questions they were asking kids in interviews leading up to the draft there's a $20 bill on the seat of a toilet there's a $50 bill in the bowl which one are you going for like is that for real or is that just some internet rumor I think it's for real um I've heard in the past several times that the Montreal Canadiens have the toughest interviews so I wouldn't be shocked all I do know is that whatever answer they were looking for from that question goalies knew it because 
three of their eight picks this in a draft were goalies. And I'm not sure the strategy there, but, or what they were looking for in the answer to that question. But, uh, but they had a, they had a relatively interesting draft. One OHLer, by the way, who I, I correctly called. What would your answer be? It gave me pause when I heard that. And I actually started with one and then finished with another. So I don't know how I would have done on the, on the test. How do you answer that? You taking the 20 off the seat or the 50 out of the bowl? Yeah. Definitely take the 50 out of the bowl, Mike, because you do the harder work. You get your nose dirty to reap the bigger reward. That's the answer to that question. They didn't say you had to bob for it. I thought you'd put your hand in there. You don't have to get your nose dirty. I was thinking the 50 from the bowl, too, because I'm like, what are we so hung up on? Everybody poops and pees, man. It's just, you know, whatever. But then I thought, no, I don't need any of that money badly enough. I'm not going near, like, whatever. The 20 or the 50 can stay there. I don't know what answer they were looking for. Um, you, you mentioned... <laughs> And this is worth pointing out, uh, even sooner than I thought. I thought he might have gone a little bit lower in the draft, but fifth round for Flory and Jacki, who you just referenced, which is pretty awesome to reunite the Jacki brothers now in the National Hockey League, or at least within the Montreal Canadiens organization. Yeah, actually a fourth rounder, Mike, which, is, which is surprising because, yeah, uh, it, it's interesting because after that pick, I, I mean, I, I mentioned on our previous pod, I, I thought... Montreal might take a flyer on Florian Jacka late in the draft and kind of thought it would be a nice storyline and might fit. Fourth round surprised me a little. Um, that was high. So after that, I reached out to a couple of my contacts just to ask, and they actually were not shocked. They had both, both the ones I asked had him in the fifth. So they thought that there was some scouting momentum on Florian Jacki that, and you know, you never know what this is based on. We know the kid has great hands. He's, he's got some offensive instincts skating definitely not at the nhl level right now um a little bit rough around the edges but when you see an older brother that determined who improves that rapidly that quickly at 19 and 20 years old you might start to think there's a genetic benefit there as well and you've already got the toughness and size so maybe worth the flyer there but it's it's a nice story the arbor jack story is a great story i think a story that every hockey fan has come to know and really appreciate so i won't go deep into detail there other than to say i hope he's healing well and comes back healthy next season uh but this is this is really interesting and i'm, I'm starting to wonder if the jack eyes mother's twitter account is a parody account because this can't be like is this real life simona is her name and let me tell you a quick simona story that you won't get from her twitter account but after the end of the Kitchener Rangers season when Arbor graduated. Well, I guess he got traded away. That's what happened. He gets traded down to Hamilton. The The first game that the Rangers played without him or his last game, either way, his mom called my post-game show. So I do a post-game show on the radio after every Kitchener Rangers game. And his mom called. I'd never met her before. I hadn't met either of the Jack Eye parents. I got to know Arbor well enough, et cetera. But his mom called the post-game show just to talk about, to thank the Kitchener Rangers organization and the fans for being so good to her boy. And then we talked about Arbor being at the draft, the free agent, everything about this and the whole story of Arbor, you know, coming into the hotel room and not really letting the family know that he'd been picked. And then the big smile and the hugs and all that. Anyway, she called and it was a great conversation, really candid and open. And I never met his mom before she randomly phones, but on Twitter now. So she's all out there about Florian. And this is what happens. You put in hard work. 
she also tweeted a picture. This is where I'm thinking this is like this can't be real life that some family friend made for the Jack Eye boys when they were kids and they were little pillows with their names stitched on them in Montreal Canadians colors. Like, come if, if that's for real, if this Twitter account is not a fake, that's fantastic. Well, well said, Mike. I can't add a whole lot of it because Simona Jackai is awesome. If you don't follow her Twitter, you should. She's just the epitome of the hockey mom who supported her her kids through and through and still supports them to this day. And her main focus is on them and their success. But then you see these big, tough, bruising sons she's got. And they're mama's boys. They are constantly crediting her and and they're doting on her now. And let's not forget Dad Jack, too, who I credit those uh, Habs pillows for, because if anyone caught the terrific Sportsnet feature on the Jack guy story, Jack came over as an immigrant to Canada and was so annoyed by all the Leaf fans around him at work when I said, no, I, I can't, can't cheer for them. I'm, I'm cheering for the Habs. So he's, he's the reason probably the boys came up as Hab fans and now it's come full circle. It's just like you said, it's almost a fairy tale story to see that. Like what are the odds of this happening? But it's, it's what a great family and good on them. Jeff Merrick always likes to say, I don't cheer for the player. I cheer for the story. I don't cheer for the game necessarily. I cheer for the story. The NHL had best wrap its arms around these two guys, and because what a story it is. It's a lot of fun. Okay, lots more to come on this episode of the OHL podcast, our final one before the summer break. Hey, where did those Kitchener Rangers go in the draft? That's for our local audience for sure. A couple of other names that I certainly identified as being a little bit lower when they're, they were called at the draft than I might have expected otherwise, and those former OHLers on the move because there's movement in the National Hockey League as well. So lots still to come. All right, let's dive into first the names maybe, Dan, that went a little bit lower than we might have expected at the draft this past week. Two jump out to me. Luca Pinelli as a fourth rounder, I would have expected to hear a little bit higher. And then I don't know, I don't know how surprised I am because we touched on him last week. This is a guy that was a year ago penciled in as a first rounder, but just didn't have the season that you would have expected of a first round prospect. And I'm talking about Cam Allen, the defenseman for the Guelph Storm, ends up going in the fifth round. Those were two that jumped out at me. You mentioned Denver Barkey earlier too, maybe going a little bit lower than you thought. Yeah, those those were the exact names that jumped out at me, Mike. I mean, let's start with the the biggest shocker, which is Cam Allen, who in preseason draft rankings, uh, many had top 10, top 10 in the NHL draft and went in the fifth round which is a staggering statement about the season he had. And I was pretty, pretty hard on him. I'll admit like I, 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 he had a rough go, especially early thought he started to get a bit together, did not have a great U 18s. Um, but that just tells you how far things can go off the rails. Um, for whatever reason, I don't think that Cam Allen was that bad this year to fall that far. And some, uh, someone's, was bound to get a steal in this draft on Cam Allen. I still think that might be the case. I'm shocked no team took a bit of a flyer on him earlier because there's not much risk in those, even those third and fourth round picks for a kid with that kind of upside. So that was shocking to me that he went that low. Um, 
Barky, I mentioned before, Pinelli is the other one that, that now obviously the size is a factor for Luca Pinelli. He's not a, he's not a terrific skater and he's only five, nine. Those factors really set you back. And he came out this season, like a house on fire and cooled substantially towards the end, especially a bit in the playoffs. So, but w- what a shooter, what a, what a skilled sniper. Again, I think that one's bound to be uh, a bit of a steal in time. And, and there's, there wasn't really anyone else that was shockingly low, but I, a name we mentioned before that I thought was maybe a little lower than I would have thought was Hunter Brustevich. I, uh, Vancouver got a steal there, I think at 75, still a relatively high pick in, in the overall scheme of things, but I felt strongly that Hunter Brustevich was probably in that 30 to 45 range in terms of value. Yeah. Both Lardis and, and Brustevich going third round didn't, shock me by any stretch i like your perspective on both luca pinelli and cam allen because i think what it demonstrates is that there's value to be found in the later if you want to call well fourth and fifth i would certainly call later rounds third i think you're still early ish anyway but uh, yeah there's value to be found in in the later rounds of a draft and and i agree i think there's some real upside both in pinelli's game and certainly cam allen's game you don't go from being penciled in as a top 10 prospect to being a fifth rounder overnight. So is it just a bad season and didn't get a lot of great looks from scouts? If, if you were at one point considered a top 10 prospect, I think there's every reason to believe you can kind of come back to something approaching that level. So I think there's some good value found there on both Pinelli and Allen in this case. Yeah, hundred percent. And with Allen in particular, if I were a development coach watching it, I would have been all over him if if my team had snagged him in, in the third or fourth round that we saw a, a premier event defenseman in the making in his rookie season. And the way he was had an edge in that U-17 tournament and led that team, he was the captain. He looked, he fluid skater, could get his shot on net and then just kind of fell off the wheels this year with in terms of his ability to defend one-on-one some of the decision-making he seemed to then lose confidence a bit in his offensive game wasn't moving the puck effectively seemed to maybe get a little carried away at times with trying to be tough and forgetting to play his role but just just some things that like you said Mike you hit the nail on the head when this was clearly in the player it didn't just disappear overnight so if I'm a development coach I'm looking at saying we can pull this back out again and maybe turn this fifth round pick into maybe not an elite player anymore, but certainly a guy that has NHL potential. All right. On the Kitchener Ranger side of things, we've already talked about Matt Andonofsky to some length. He was a fifth rounder, 140th overall to Ottawa. Rustevich, you touched on a moment ago, 75th in the third round to Vancouver and Carson Rakoff, uh, a late second rounder to the Seattle Kraken going at 50th kind of the way we would have expected the Kitchener Rangers prospects to go, Rakoff, then Brustevich, then Andonovsky, if Andonovsky were going at all. For Rakoff, here's a guy that, again, coming into the Ontario Hockey League, was projected as a potential, potential first-rounder to the National Hockey League. Instead, he goes mid to late second. Yeah, I, I think pretty much where we expected, right? And. uh that's the round, I think, that that second round, that that range where he went and Brustevich went and some of these other players from the OHL went is kind of that range of the draft where I consider a half-and-half half player. You've either got NHL tools and not the toolbox, or you have the toolbox and not... They, they, what I'm getting at is you've, 
you've either got projectable tools like size skating and a shot like like Rakoff, but you need to work on awareness, defensive play, consistency, or you've got those intangibles. You've got awareness, IQ, consistency. You might be lacking on the size, shot, other things, skating, but you're not getting the full package at the second round, but you've got something very enticing that could be flushed out. And I think that's how I see Rakoff. Seattle's obviously going to have to work with them playing playing a, you know a three or four year project where he plays a couple years in the AHL against men and really learns how to defend and how to be consistent every night gets his you know dietary and off ice habits uh on the pro level those kind of things because the everything else is there the size the skating the shot so um that's where that that's the round where you take those types of players I think all the tools are there for Hunter Brustevich as well. And again, I'll reference Mark Edwards when he joined us for our feature interview last week, said the one thing he would really like from Brustevich is to see him a little meaner. Let's get a little bit of that edge. But Hunter Brustevich doesn't lack anything that you would want him to have. Develop some of the things? Absolutely. Maybe that mean streak, et cetera. But adding to the toolbox when I say he brings all of these things is the personality this guy's got to burn. And if you saw, I shared it on my Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL, but one of his interviews briefly just after being picked, I mean, the the kid speaks well, he says the right things. And like I said, personality to burn, which I think can be, you know, one of those intangibles that help develop you into a pro and certainly uh, could become a fan favorite in Vancouver should he make the steps he needs to make to get to the next level. Yeah, and you know, the meaner thing's a fair point. That tends to be what people see in a, in a defender that appears to to be a nicer guy out there and more offensively minded, but Hunter Brustevich almost never gets hit because he can spin away from everything, get out of trouble so easily. He's not having to engage as much. And when you see defenders that have that elite skating and agility, like Eric Carlson, for instance, some of these guys that and an active stick gets you a long way there too. Uh, I think a player's more probably more in line with uh, Hunter Brustevich is a player like uh, Jordan Harris in Montreal right now, who's got those really good feet, that good skating. He he's not particularly mean, but he has such a good read of plays in that stick that he can defend without being a total bruiser. But it's a fair point that he might might harden up a little to get to the NHL level and maybe trust his shot a little more. There's a guy that was a disher, um, could probably unlock some offense by getting that shot through a few more times. I could not agree more. You know, it just occurred to me that with all the time we spent on East and Cowan, we kind of glossed over, or I kind of glossed over the rest of those first rounders from the OHL this year in Colby Barlow, uh, Quentin Musty, Callum Ritchie, and Oliver Bonk. Uh, Of those, I'll just say, like Musty, we talked about this last week. He's got all of the skills that are tantalizing for you. And you're like, okay, this is, you know, because of that skill, we definitely want him in the first round. Colby Barlow, the one thing that I've heard about him is that there's not a lot of certainty in how much higher his ceiling really is but what you get from Colby Barlow you you already know essentially that's how mature his game is so obviously it's not a surprise for him what I like about Richie is that injuries notwithstanding I think we've seen enough from him had seen enough prior to this season that he's a worthy first rounder. And then Bonk, it goes without saying, again, a guy coming out of that factory in London and a real nice defenseman for you, who also has a bit of that mean streak that we just talked about Prestevich maybe not having. Yeah, for sure. And Bonk went roughly, maybe a tiny bit higher than we expected, but right around, he's a safe pick. He's probably, he's going to play probably a, a bottom pairing defenseman at worst. Um, I think I had 
predicted that I thought Musty would go in the top 25. So, of course, he goes 26 just to spite me. But I've heard a lot of scouts think that uh, Musty possesses everything you need to be a pro. I huge chance generator. Um, one of the biggest chance generators in junior hockey this year across the CHL. Uh, big, fast, got everything you need. So I'd be shocked if Musty doesn't doesn't manifest. And then, of course, uh, you, you mentioned Richie. Richie dealt with all those injuries, but I don't think it was fooling anyone. Those who have seen him for the last two or three years, particularly with Team Canada, know what the tools are there. Another fairly safe bet to play. And then the Colby Barlow one's the interesting one to me, Mike, because you mentioned the the sentiment that maybe he's peaked. I heard that a lot. I heard a couple of criticisms of Colby Barlow were one that he's already physically mature. So they don't feel like there's a lot more to gain there. Uh, and that he scores a lot of goals on his shot and quick release, which beat OHL goaltenders, but is it a recipe at the NHL level? And that he's also not necessarily a huge chance creator other than for himself, creates a lot of chances for himself. Doesn't necessarily make the line mates uh, uh, get a lot more chances. All, all criticisms that you hear when people are nitpicking higher-end picks in the NHL because they're really carving their game up. But Colby Barlow just brings too much to the table. I mean, he's big, he's fast, he's got a wicked shot. Those things alone get you drafted right around where he went. And we saw what he did with, with Team Canada as well. So uh, I I don't think there's really any way you can go wrong with Colby Barlow. But those criticism, criticisms were interesting to hear because I heard all the same ones. All right, just before we move on to former OHLers moving around in the National Hockey League and then call it a summer, any other overall thoughts from the draft that I didn't touch on? Those were the names I definitely wanted to mention. The local guys, obviously, will focus on some Kitchener Rangers, some of our nice surprises, et cetera, but anything else from your end? Uh, just two, two quick things. I know we talked about that run of defensemen that we saw coming from the OHL. Of course, I got it wrong. I... I suspected that uh, Quinton Burns might be the first of those second round defensemen. Of course, he went after uh, Bertucci and Gibson and Aiki. It was kind of a coin flip. Uh, Burns went 74th. I thought he might go as high as, you know, 45th to 50th, but uh, a great run of OHL defensemen there. And then the other thought, I just have to give one last plug for for my boy, Angus McDonnell. Nice to see him go. Uh Again, a spark plug, not to me, not that different from the type of game uh, Easton Cowan brought. Uh, so if he if he continues to develop on that trajectory with uh, Mississauga next year, I think that's a great pick for Dallas. Great call on Andrew Gibson, too. You identified him as one of your uh, favorite prospects of the season when you went a little bit, you know, outside the box. And uh, what what a nice looking hockey player going there in the second round. And uh, it'll be fun to watch him the next couple of years in the Ontario Hockey League with the Sioux Greyhounds for sure. All right. I guess the first thing that jumps out to me when we talk about some of the former OHLers making moves, not only the number of connections suddenly there are to the London Knights again, but uh, kids, you too can play till you're a hundred and still make $4 million a year. How about that, Corey? Like, come on, Corey Perry, come on. Okay. So there's, there's, there's something that someone's going to have to explain to me here because generally speaking, these things kind of work out within a range you expect. Uh, when a team in the NHL with the money situation down the cap being tight, when a player moves that has a big ticket cap hit uh, and questionable on ice value or age, usually the team has to give up something to dump that contract. Uh, and in the Corey Perry case, being a, a pending free agent, for one, usually you don't have to give up anything to get his negotiating rights on an aging player like that. Uh, you just wait till he's a free agent and offer him a contract. But for a guy that's 
played for a million dollars the last couple of years, between one and $2 million in his last uh, three to four seasons. And now he's in his late thirties, questionable whether he really has much of a role in the lineup anymore. Chicago traded a draft pick to get his negotiating rights a day or two ahead of free agency and then gave him $4 million for the season. So I guess I'm hearing that, you know, they're trying to get to the cap floor. Sure. But it's just a puzzling move. And this is to take nothing away from our former OHL or former London Knight, Corey Perry's a heck of a hockey player and has been a great leader on his teams for years, but that is a puzzling contract to me. Uh, I guess get him into Chicago because I'm going off the top of my head here, but Perry and Kane were in London at the same time. Right. And Kane's yes. departing Chicago. So there's another guy on the move and there's talk of, does Kane become a piece of the Edmonton Oilers puzzle? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's certain players in Edmonton that you might see a fit with, with that style of play. Right. So, uh, so who knows, that'll be an interesting one because I know uh, Patrick Kane, some felt was a bit of a letdown after the trade deadline last year. Um, but again, you're dealing with a player who's definitely on the downside of his career. So you got to manage expectations a bit there. The Blackhawks are busy, not only getting that first overall pick in Connor Bedard, but former Sudbury Wolf and former Windsor Spitfire. Nick Felino and Taylor Hall end up in the Windy City as well. Yeah, so which is which is interesting. GM Kyle Davidson coming out of you know the Chicago Cubs of all places and loading up on OHLers. This this guy's a someone on, on his staff's got an eye for them. And there's, there's no doubting what those players can bring to the table from a leadership standpoint and showing the younger players how to be pros. And uh, Luke Richardson, I'm sure had some say uh, on who they brought in over the past year. And then things didn't work out that well for him, for him. Um, but the, the team is in a bit of disarray and I don't really know what they're trying to do other here, other here than get to the cap floor and maybe bring in some leadership skills. And those guys have it in spades. I'm just not sure but these $4 million contracts for these players that are very, very much at the end. When he was in the Ontario Hockey League, uh, Matt Duchesne, I thought, flew under the radar just a tad with the Brampton Battalion because it was a pretty stacked team. Cody Hodgson was there at the time, among others. Wojtek Wolski would have been. But it was a team that was built, and for some reason, Duchesne was almost second fiddle, but it wasn't hard to spot the talent. And so it, it hurts my heart a little bit, but I guess this happens uh, at some point. Y'all, you got to realize that, you know, things just aren't going the way they were supposed to, or teams can't afford it, but a buyout for Mr. Deshane. Yeah. And I love matching. He's a great guy. He's a, he's a wonderful human being has been a terrific player. I, I have to admit, I'm not at all surprised on this one, Mike. And, and if we dial back to when he was a free agent, me being a Montreal Canadiens fan, Montreal and Nashville were the two big suitors of Matt Duchesne. And at the time, some, some Habs fans were upset that he quote unquote snubbed the Habs to go to Nashville. And I was very pleased because as much as I liked the player, it was one of those deals that was destined to be a, a, a huge boat anchor towards the end of it. Um, and sure enough, here we have Nashville, Barry Trotz now in his GM taking a huge uh, buyout hit that cap penalty for the next six years um, just thanking goodness that my team is not dealing with that. But again, not to take anything away from Matt Duchesne, great player, but just some, sometimes these contracts don't make sense. And players value is half what he brings on the ice and half his cap hit now in the NHL. And GMs need to be aware of that. We've said it all through this season on the OHL podcast. One of our favorite parts about following this game at this level is seeing where the players go next and then maybe just continuing to cheer for the player or follow the player's career as opposed to an individual team. So. 
it's fun to see some of the former OHLers when we watch them grow through this league, now moving around in the National Hockey League. There will be more of that in the months ahead, but we're going to take a little bit of a break, take some summer holiday time, and then come back as we get ready for training camps and into the exhibition season in the fall, which I think I saw somebody post the other day, 94 days until we're back uh, you know, in this arena or something. And that was a couple to a few days ago. So 90-ish days, uh, we'll be back playing some games, watching things happen and enjoying another season of uh, Ontario Hockey League action. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it'll come quickly. Um, but yeah, just on the, the ending note, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to everyone that that listened and followed all year and that interacted with us and even though we're on break, I mean, feel free to reach out to, to Mike or I. I'm happy to interact via Twitter or, what, or whatever method you prefer across the summer if you get bored and need some hockey talk. But thank you for bearing with us. A huge thank you as well to our title sponsor, Matt Smith Goaltending and Wilmot Window Cleaners, who came along as well. Sponsorship opportunities will remain available to anybody who's interested in attaching their brand to ours. We're pretty proud of what we've got here at the OHL podcast in terms of coverage of the league and one of the leading voices on what's going on. So send an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. We're happy to talk sponsorship opportunities or just talk hockey with you. We'll take your chirps. We'll read them on the show. You name it. Moving forward at Dan Mahar on Twitter for Dan at Farwell underscore OHL for me. Thanks again for a great season. We'll be back in early September. And until then, enjoy the summer. And don't you dare forget, don't forget about us over here at the OHL Podcast. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.